0: Please turn with me to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, we will read verses 13 and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Amen. Our topic this morning is the Christian Sabbath, also known as the Lord's Day. I know we may not all hold to the same view on this topic, but I do think that the Sabbath is an important subject to consider. My desire this morning is simply to teach the benefit and the blessing of keeping And holding to the Christian Sabbath. And I want to give a couple reasons why it still applies to Christians in the New Testament. The position I take is the position of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which this church holds to and, and this denomination holds to. But sadly, certain exceptions of the confession have become commonplace in our day. And the teaching of the Sabbath is definitely one of those common exceptions. People really don't think twice about ministers who say that they don't hold to the Sabbath in this way. People act like it's not a big deal. But my hope is that we'll cover this subject adequately enough for you to see that this exception is not one that we should take lightly. The Sabbath is a tremendous blessing. To the church and the flagrant disregard for Sabbath keeping that we see in our day is detrimental to the health of the church. Now, I won't have time to cover everything that I'd like to Uh, like. We won't be covering the change of the Sabbath day from the first day of from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. And we won't be getting to any of the exceptions to the work that can be done on the Sabbath But I hope that we can cover enough ground here this morning that this will be beneficial to you. I pray that the Lord will will open our minds and work in our hearts and help us to apply his word in our lives as we see fit, as he would see fit. Um, But I want to begin with Isaiah 58 because I think it clearly sets forth the practice of Sabbath keeping, the privilege of Sabbath keeping, And the promise, the promises which God gives to those who keep his Sabbath. We'll briefly consider these things from Isaiah 58. And then we'll move on to consider various reasons why we ought to keep the Sabbath even in the New Testament. The practice of Sabbath keeping is found here in these words. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, that means don't trample upon it. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thine own pleasure on my holy day, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. So essentially, to keep the Sabbath is to recognize that the Sabbath is a day which belongs to God. It's not our day. It's not for our pleasure. It's not to be used for our purposes. God has claimed it for himself. He calls it his holy day. And so positively speaking, this text tells us to regard it as holy, as honorable. We ought to recognize that God has set this day apart and therefore We should give it the honor that it's due. We ought to be careful to use the Sabbath for the purposes that God intended, because he has set it apart for a special purpose. That's what it means for something to be made holy. It means that it it gets set apart by God from its common use to be used specifically for a, real, for a religious purpose. So the Sabbath is not a common, ordinary day. It's a day set apart unto God. And so negatively speaking, what does that look like for us? If we are to regard the Sabbath day as holy, what should we not do on that day? Isaiah says, when we honor the Sabbath as God commands, we won't go our own ways or seek our own pleasures or speak our own words. We refrain from doing certain things on the Sabbath day because we recognize that it's not a day to be used according to our own desires. It doesn't belong to us. It's, a day that, it's, it's not a day that God has given to us, To be used for recreation, or for fun, or for work, or anything like that. It's a day for us to do what God would have us to do. To delight in him. To honor him, to worship him, to praise him, to glorify him. It's a day that we commit to the Lord for the purpose of worship. So we set aside our jobs we set aside our desires. We set aside our, our desire for a perfectly clean house or for a perfectly mowed yard. We set aside our entertainment. We set aside anything that might distract us from God Himself. And we choose to delight in Him. And this shouldn't be a burden for us, this should be a privilege. Isaiah tells us here that we ought to use this day to delight in the Lord. It's a day that we have the privilege of spending in communion and fellowship with God, who's the greatest desire of our hearts. This is a heavenly privilege. It's a day that we ought to look forward to and to rejoice in. I know I've said this before, but think about what, oh, the, what witness it is to the world. To keep the Sabbath day. Keeping the Sabbath causes us to stand out from the world. Because the world is obsessed with money. And shopping and entertainment and pleasures. Setting aside the pursuit of these things for a day. Is foreign to the mind of the world. But it should be a delight for us. Because we know. Nothing in this world can satisfy our hearts. Our hearts long for God, and the Sabbath day is a day in which we commune with him. It's not uncommon for people to think of the Sabbath as a burden They think of the Sabbath and they think of the bondage of the law. They think of fire and brimstone and legalism. And they think that it's cold and heartless. And I I think that this is largely due to the fact that Jesus spends a lot of time in the Gospels arguing with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Many people think that what Jesus was doing in the Gospels was freeing us from having to keep the Sabbath. But that's not true. Sometimes the, debate about, the debates about the Sabbath get so caught up in talking about the pharisaical misapplication of the Sabbath that we forget what God intended it to be. The Sabbath was intended to be a day of delight for his people. It was supposed to be a taste of heaven. It was supposed to be a, a, a taste of the paradise of Eden. Jesus wasn't taking this away. He was restoring it to its former glory. You see, the Pharisees added all these extra laws to the Sabbath. They took what was supposed to be a day of rest, and they turned it into a day of following a bunch of rules. And sometimes that's how people go about Sabbath-keeping in our day. They create a list of of do's and don'ts, and they think that by obeying their own rules, that that's what Sabbath keeping is. But we need to remember that you can do all the right things on the outside and still be a Sabbath breaker in your heart. You're not keeping the Sabbath if you're keeping the Sabbath like a Pharisee. It's supposed to be a delight. And that's what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. He breaks the man-made rules of the Pharisees to show them that they've made the Sabbath day a burden. It became too much for people to bear. It took all the beauty out of God's gift to his people. So Jesus never broke the Sabbath. If he did, he would have been a sinner. And as we know... In order for him to save us from our sins, Jesus needed to be a perfect sacrifice without blemish and without sin. So the Sabbath is a day of delight. It's a wonderful privilege that God has given to his church. But God also gives us several promises to those who keep the Sabbath. He promises to make those who keep the Sabbath to ride upon the high places of the earth and to be fed with the heritage of Jacob. To, to ride upon the high places of the earth is language that's used several times in the Old Testament. And it's, it's used to, to mean becoming victorious over our enemies. And who or, or what are our greatest enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. God promises us victory over these things for those who keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a means of grace. It helps us to die to sin and to grow in holiness. He also promises to feed us with the heritage of Jacob. This is a promise that's linked to the covenant. Essentially, it means that God will strengthen us as the children of God. He promises things like a stronger union and communion with Christ, a greater assurance of our salvation, more boldness in prayer, more confidence in our Christian walk. These are glorious promises linked to the, the, to the covenant blessings of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And our experience of these things is strengthened when we keep the Sabbath. I know we haven't proven that the Sabbath still applies to us yet. But, but let's consider something real quick. If it does still apply to us, And these promises come with it. And the promises in these verses are are beautiful and glorious. They should be precious to us to ride upon the high places of the earth, to trample our enemies underfoot, to be strengthened in our faith. These things are beautiful. Shouldn't we want these promises to remain? Shouldn't our default desire be to make these promises our own? We should want the Sabbath to still apply to us so that we can have all that God promises here. We shouldn't want the Sabbath to be taken away from us. It's a heavenly privilege with glorious promises. And thankfully, the Sabbath hasn't been taken from us. It's still a duty and a privilege To the believer, even in the New Testament. Now, we're going to take some time to to give some reasons why this is the case. First, the Sabbath applies to New Testament believers because the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance. A a, a creation ordinance is essentially something that God ordained at creation, which is intended to function as a pattern for all of humanity throughout history. So basically, creation ordinances are rules that God establishes at creation that are intended to endure for all of creation. The creation ordinances are the most essential and rudimentary aspects of our existence, perhaps the best example of a creation ordinance that we should all agree on is marriage. God never issues a command for us to continue the practice of marriage. He simply sets forth the example at creation and we are expected to continue that practice throughout history. It wasn't just the Jews who were intended to marry, but all people, in all places, at all times in history. We are expected to continue the practice of marriage. And just like with the Sabbath, man quickly perverted the practice of marriage. So Jesus, in the New Testament, has to clarify what God intended marriage to be by appealing back to creation Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. There was no explicit command for Jesus to appeal to, but he could appeal back to creation, because marriage was established by the example of, of God from the beginning to continue throughout all of history. And so when disputes about the Sabbath come up in the New Testament, Jesus does the same thing in in his debates with the Pharisees. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is what God intended from the beginning. God intended the Sabbath to be used For our good, not to be a burden that's too heavy for us to bear. We tend to think about the Sabbath as just one of the laws of Moses. And and maybe we think that that somehow uh, excuses us from having to obey it. But the Sabbath wasn't instituted by Moses for the Jews only, as if it were some kind of ceremonial law. The Sabbath was woven into the very fabric of creation and it was given to all mankind. As you know, God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. In Hebrew, that that word for rest comes from the verb Shabbat. That's where we get the word Sabbath. Now, this obviously wasn't a rest that God needed because he was too tired. This was a holy rest, a holy contemplation of his work of creation. And that's why the rest that we take on the Sabbath isn't a a lazy kind of rest. It's a contemplative rest. It's a worshipful rest. And by God taking this holy rest... Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he had rested, he had Sabbathed from all his work, which God created and made. So the Sabbath was established by the example of God himself. Not for the Jews exclu- exclusively, but for all mankind From the very beginning of creation. And this is confirmed for us when God gives Moses the moral law in the Ten Commandments. This is the second reason the Sabbath still applies to us in the New Testament. The Sabbath is a moral law which abides forever. No one argues that thou shalt have no other gods before me has been done away with by Christ. No one thinks Christ has done away with the command, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not steal. We all recognize that these are moral laws that are meant to be followed by all people. They weren't created exclusively for the Jews with an expiration date on them. But in the midst of all these moral commands, we have the command... Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. There's no reason to think that this commandment has been done away with in Christ. This is a moral command, just like the nine other commandments that surround it. And notice what God says. He says, remember the Sabbath day. He appeals to something they already knew. This wasn't a new idea to them. The Sabbath had already been established at creation. It was familiar to them. God is simply providing an explicit commandment for his people to honor his day. But the law was not exclusive to Israel. Many people in our day treat the Sabbath as if it were a ceremonial law. These are laws that that Christ did fulfill in his death and resurrection. These are things like temple worship and and animal sacrifices. We don't slaughter goats or sheep in our worship services because by becoming the perfect sacrifice for us and and cleansing us from all of our sins and, and forgiving us for our sins, Christ has done away with the need For any more sacrifices to be made. But this isn't the case with the Sabbath. See, the ceremonial laws were symbols, they were signs of the redemption that was to come. And when that redemption came, when when Christ came, there was no more use for them. He was the substance of all that they declared. But the Sabbath was established before our need for redemption. The Sabbath was established before we fell into sin. The Sabbath is therefore not a ceremonial law. It's a moral law that abides forever. It's binding on all people in all places And it didn't come with an expiration date. Even though I think the reasons that we've given are more than enough to prove that the Sabbath is still binding on the New Testament believer, there's another strong argument that we can make. The third reason the Sabbath applies to us in the New Testament is that we are explicitly commanded to keep the Sabbath day. This command is found. In Hebrews chapter 4. The text that we read earlier. Hebrews 4 talks about the failure of the Jews. To enter into the gospel rest. That was promised by God. And they failed to enter into it. Because of their unbelief. And so Paul uses them as, a, as an example to motivate us, to strive, to labor, to enter into that rest that lies ahead for us. And nine times in this chapter, Paul uses a very general Greek word that means rest. But in one instance, he uses a very particular word. It's found in verse 9. He says, there remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. The Greek word translated rest in this verse literally means a Sabbath keeping. So essentially, the argument in Hebrews chapter 4 is that there was a rest that the Jews looked forward to, but they failed to enter into it because of their unbelief. But there's also a rest that lies ahead for us. That rest is heaven. And we ought to strive to enter into it. And as we do, we anticipate our future rest by participating in a rest here on earth. The rest that we participate in now is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a token of that which is to come. For us. It's a taste of heaven. For the New Testament believer. And there's a direct command from God. For us to keep it. Dr. Piper from Greenville Seminary. Wrote a book on this subject. And, and he says in that book. The uniqueness of this word. In Hebrews four nine Suggests a deliberate. Theological purpose. He selects. Sabbatismos, that's the Greek word that means Sabbath-keeping. He selects that word because in addition to referring to a spiritual rest, it suggests an observance of that rest by Sabbath-keeping. Thus, the theology of an accomplished redemption does not annul a continued Sabbath-keeping, but it requires it. And the fact that this command is in the book of Hebrews isn't something that we should ignore. The theme of the entire book of Hebrews is the the demonstration of the superiority of the new covenant. We see more clearly in this book than any other book of the Bible how all the ceremonial worship practices of the Old Testament have been done away with. If you read through Hebrews, you'll you'll read a description of temple worship and all the sacrifices and the Day of Atonement and and so on. And he shows how Christ has fulfilled it all. He, He says essentially that we have something better than what you had under Moses. And he's exhorting the Jews, don't forsake Christ by going back to Judaism. So one would expect if the Sabbath was done away with, Or modified somehow into a new, better form. Then Hebrews would be the place that we would read about it. But when it comes to the Sabbath, the book of Hebrews tells us to keep it, to uphold it. He doesn't change the way it ought to be kept. He doesn't say the Old Testament was was rigid and restrictive and now you can do whatever you want on the Sabbath. No, he tells us to keep it. And he tells us this explicitly. The New Testament believer is explicitly commanded to keep the Sabbath. So we have three solid reasons For us in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a creation ordinance. The Sabbath is a moral command. And we are explicitly commanded to keep the Sabbath in the New Testament. But there are two texts in particular that people will use in response to what I've said thus far. Those texts are found in Colossians chapter 2 and Romans 14. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of holy days, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 14. He says there in verses 5 and 6, One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. And on the surface, these texts uh, they, they seem to uh, they seem to contradict what we've said thus far. It, it sounds like keeping the Sabbath day is optional for us in the New Testament. But we have to remember something: there was a time of transition from Old Testament worship to New Testament worship. There were Jews who became Christians that still recognized. Old Testament feast days. And during this time of transition, it was permissible for these Christians to observe them. Paul alludes to this transition period in Hebrews chapter 8. He says in verse 13, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the old one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old Is ready to vanish away. There was a time in which it was a matter of indifference whether or not a Jewish convert observed Old Testament feast days. And this is what Paul is referring to in Colossians 2 and Romans 14. You see, there there were some people in the church that were making these feast days a divisive issue, there were some people trying to outlaw the feast days entirely. And there were others who were trying to force people to observe them. And Paul steps in and he says, if you want to observe them, observe them. If you don't want to observe them, then don't observe them. While the Old Testament was was passing away, the Old Covenant was passing away, it didn't matter whether you kept them or not. But what wasn't up for debate was whether or not the Sabbath remained in effect. What Paul is talking about were were these ceremonial feast days, like like the Passover, like the Day of Atonement. They were soon to vanish away. A good way to understand this is, is to look at the rest of the verse in Romans 14. Right after Paul says, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it, he says, he that eateth Eateth to the Lord. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not. What Paul has in view here is whether or not the dietary laws of the Old Testament needed to be enforced by the church. He says during this time of transition, it didn't matter if you continued to hold the dietary laws of the Old Testament or not as long as neither side became obligatory in the church. What he didn't have in mind here is whether or not Christians were to observe the Lord's Supper. To intentionally forsake the Lord's Supper was not a matter of indifference, and that's certainly not what Paul is trying to argue. But that's the way some people use this verse When it comes to the Sabbath, it's no different than trying to use this verse against observing the Lord's Supper. You can't do it without doing a great injustice to the text. You'd have to take this verse out of its context to make that argument. The same is true when the text is used against the Sabbath. That's not what Paul has in mind in these verses. But to close, I want to read once again Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, now that we know that these promises are made available to us if we're willing to submit ourselves to keeping the Sabbath day. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure, On my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob, thy father, for the mouth of the Lord. Hath spoken it. What beautiful, precious promises these are. May we all consider the Sabbath day a day of delight, holy unto the Lord. And may we use it as a day to commune with Him by faith. And may we receive these promises from God. May our church be built up in our faith. And made prosperous and victorious over our enemies for the glory of God alone. Amen.